My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. And you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. Well, good morning. It's great to see you guys again. I work as the executive pastor here. My name is Jay Held, and I thought since we're still getting acquainted, this is just my second time up here in front of you, I thought I'd tell you a story that my mother used to tell about me. My mother uh, told this story to new acquaintances of ours. She told this story to old friends of ours. She repeated this story many, many times over. She told it on my wedding day. It's a short story, but it's one that she loved to tell. It goes something like this. Mom said that when she first gave birth to me, I was so independent that I walked home from the hospital by myself. That's what she said. She said I was so independent when she first gave birth to me that day that I walked home from the hospital by myself. Now, I can't take all the credit for that. The truth is, is that I'm the third child of of five. My mom gave birth to three kids in 25 months. So that's that's really tight. And if you figure out the math, the only way you can get that done is to get a premature baby in there. And so my brother was a premature baby. I've got an older sister, a brother, a premature. And then I came along, and mom was kind of busy. And so as I think back of that first day, from what I can remember, I waited until after lunch (laughs) before I headed home from the hospital. She was tired. She needed a nap. And so I waited, and then I came home. Uh, The thing is, is that I think I'm a lot like my grandfather. My grandfather, at 19 years of age, left the Black Forest of Germany and came by himself through Ellis Island to this country, and he landed in Canton, Ohio. When I was 18 years, I left Canton, Ohio to go to college in Atlanta, Georgia, and I was the first one in my family to leave home. And after I graduated from college, I moved from Atlanta to Los Angeles, and I did about a five-month gig there, and then I moved back across the south to Orlando, Florida. And I worked in Orlando, Florida as a high school teacher at a Christian school, and I worked in a church, and I helped coach football, and I did that until I moved all the way across the country again to Portland, Oregon. So mom thought I was a little bit independent. And she would tell you that that started at a pretty early age. She would tell you of another story. When I was five years old, I'd come home from a very long half day at kindergarten. 
And I was hungry, and she was busy. So I went into the kitchen, and I got a can of Campbell's soup, and I opened that can up, and I dumped it out into a pan, and I added an entire can of water. And I poured that into the pan, and I turned on the gas range, and I stirred it. And as that was heating, I got another can of tuna fish, a can of tuna fish. I opened it up, drained it, dumped it into a bowl, got a scoop of spin blend. Do you know what that is? Mom doesn't like mayonnaise. You don't sell it around here. At least I can't find it. It's this mayonnaise substitute. Put it in there, mixed it all up, made my sandwich, stirred the soup, and mom came into the kitchen. So I shared with her. And we had lunch together. I, I don't think I'm the only one. I, I mean, if I look around, we teach this stuff in our culture. It's at a pretty early age that we teach people to take a little initiative, to own some responsibility, and to do things for themselves. In fact, I have a story here that I'd like to read to you. And I want you to know that I have pictures And so it's a great book. It's a classic story. It's from Sesame Street, and it's called I Can Do It Myself. Look with me as we go through this. They say, I can put away my toys. I can do it myself. I can pour my juice. I can comb my hair. I can write my name. I can look at this whole book. I can do it myself. And you can. You can do it yourself. You can set your alarm. You can go to class. You can read books. You can write papers. You can take exams. We have students across the country that do this. And even remotely. In fact, some of you are about to graduate. Some of you are about to graduate from high school in a couple weeks or college Some of you have made it through graduate school. You can do it. You can do it yourself. You can make your own coffee. You can lead your own team. You can start your own business. You can even learn how to Zoom conference. You can. You find great joy in your accomplishments. You can do it yourself. But you might want to examine this idea you just might want to take a closer look at this idea because this idea is really at the crossroads of the quality of your life. And it's quite different than an idea that Jesus had. He told a story himself, a rather short story, in John chapter 15. And I'd like to ask you, if you would, to look at John chapter 15 with me. We'll start in verse 5. Jesus said, I am the vine... You are the branches. If any remain in me, and I remain in them, they produce much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. I can do it myself. I'm the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me, and I remain in you, you produce much fruit. But without me, you can do nothing. I can do it myself. Without me, really? Nothing? 
What in the world is he talking about? Jesus here is not denying the development of personal competencies. You can set your alarm. You can make your coffee. You can lead your team. You can start a company. You can do some amazing things. So what does Jesus mean here when he says, without me, you can do nothing? I want to take just a moment here this morning and take a closer look. I want to take a closer look at this because truly the quality of your life depends upon it. In fact, Jesus even said so much in this passage later on in verse 11. And John 15, 11, he says, I have told you these things. We're going to look at these things in just a moment. I've told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. It'll be overflowing for you. The quality of your life is at this crossroads. When we read John 15, 5, without me, you can do nothing, a careful reader immediately thinks back to John chapter 5. John chapter 5, verse 30, Jesus said these words. He said, I can do nothing on my own. I mean, we would hear that. A careful reader would immediately go back. Without me, you can do nothing. That's what Jesus said. But Jesus also said, I can do nothing on my own. And he goes on to say, because I carry out the will of the one who sent me, not my own will. Jesus is not denying the development of personal competencies, his abilities or your Abilities. What Jesus is, is he is focused on his purpose. He's using all of his skills, all of his abilities, all of his competencies, all of his energy to fulfill the purpose for which God had brought him here. And he's crystal clear on that. He's tied in. He's focused. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus accomplishes the will of the Father And this brings us to our passage, John 15, chapter 1. And in this passage, we're going to see two characters at the opening scene. We have a word picture here. Look with me in John 15. Jesus said, I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. Two characters. It's pretty simple right now. We have a gardener, the father. He's over all the process. He cultivates the soil. He cleans the soil. He prepares the soil. He takes care of the soil. He waters it. He cares for the plant that he plants there. He takes care of the whole process. And then there's the vine. And here Jesus, the true vine, God who limits himself as human is the vine. Now, what's important to recognize here is is that God had called Israel to be his vineyard. Centuries before, God had called Israel to live out his plan of salvation, to be the message through which he calls all people to himself. But Isaiah and Ezekiel noted centuries before that God had not only cultivated Israel and waited for a harvest, But he also saw Israel bring forth only bad fruit. They were to be the message of God. They were to be the people of God who brought the plan of God. 
but they started to think that it was all about them. But they could do it themselves. They didn't love God. They didn't embrace other people who were outside the community. And so what God said through the prophets, Ezekiel and Isaiah, is that God will replace them with a true vine. And Jesus is now declaring that. The night before he's crucified, when he says, I am the true grapevine in my father, the gardener, two characters. And then he moves on into this picture. And we see in this picture actually how God is going to develop a people. That's why he's replacing Israel with people who will be in Jesus, in Christ. He's going to replace them, and he's going to show us in this picture how God develops those people, how God operates to develop disciples who follow after Jesus. And he says in verse 2, he cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit, so they will produce even more fruit. You have already been pruned and purified by the message that I've given to you. There's two kinds of people who claim to follow Jesus. There are those people who produce fruit, and there are those people who do not produce fruit. It's that simple. And we'll talk about the second group in just a moment. But he starts with those who produce fruit. God works in those people who produce fruit so that they would develop to be more producing of fruit. And it strikes me in this first verse that it says that those that produce, he prunes. I don't think I would have started there. I might have praised them. I might have encouraged them. But the text here says he prunes them. And I will talk about that in just a moment. What does it mean that the Spirit of God prunes us? He's going to work in us so that we produce more fruit. But I want to make a couple quick observations in our passage. Some of you are familiar with this passage. Some of you have never read it before. But when we read the Bible, when an idea is repeated, we're supposed to pay attention. If an idea is repeated once or twice, the author's raising his voice. But if the author uses an idea term repeatedly and repeatedly and repeatedly, then it's almost like he's shouting at us. Well, watch this. In this passage, 10 times... And John 15, 1 through 10, 10 times the word remain shows up. So this passage is something about remaining or abiding in Christ. What does that mean? What does it mean to remain or abide in Christ? It simply means to believe in Jesus. That's what the entire book is about. John is writing to Christian believers, and he's trying to help them deepen their faith and trust in Jesus. And this passage is really tight on that. Ten times in that short passage, believe, trust, remain, abide, live out what Jesus says. And then you've got this little phrase, in me. Sixteen times in the book of John, he uses that phrase, in me. What in the world is he talking about to remain or abide in me? 
Now, if we have people here that like grammar, what that means is it's a sphere in which some action takes place. And for the rest of you who have no idea that abstraction I just gave you, we have a phrase in our culture, and we just call it this. It's a sphere of influence. What is he talking about here? You'll hear a lot of different ideas. I think it's quite simply that we are to remain, abide in a close relationship with Jesus Christ, in fellowship with him, in union with him, close to him. We live our life on purpose. And our purpose is the purpose for which God has given us. It's in alignment with the purpose that Jesus came for. He can't do anything on his own. He came to fulfill the purpose of the Father. That's what he's talking about. So the branches come out of the vine. They draw their life. They draw their sustenance. They draw their purpose out of the vine. You and I as branches... We live through the power of the Holy Spirit to fulfill the purpose and the life for which Jesus called us. And that means we produce fruit. What in the world is fruit? Well, the first thing that fruit means is repentance. The fruit of repentance. Uh, John talks about that quite a bit. In fact, Nicodemus is conflicted over the whole idea. But the fruit of repentance is when, when we say that we confess what we've done is wrong and we turn away from it towards Christ. The Spirit of God works in us and the Word of God works in us so that we see where our life is not in alignment with God. We repent of that. We turn and we walk in alignment with God. So the question that the text asks you is when was the last time You acknowledge that you're out of alignment. You confess that. You turned away from that. You repented and you got in alignment with the will of God. When was the last time you confessed your sin to another person? That's the fruit of repentance. There's another kind of fruit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Some of you think of this and our passage ends with this just a little bit later in verses 11, 12 down there. Fruit of the Spirit is where our desires become more like the desires of Jesus. We love what he loves. We hate what he hates. The things that bring us joy are the things that bring him joy. A question that might, you know, you ask might be is like, am I growing more and more courageous or am I more easily discouraged? Is my life more and more exemplified by love? Am I growing in love or do I find myself easily irritated? Quickly irritated. That's the fruit of the Spirit. And God works in us to make us more like Christ, to develop us in our desires, our affections, our attachments. And then another kind of fruit is reproduction. Like, we invite other people into the story of Jesus. That's producing fruit. When was the last time you shared your faith? You witnessed, you told somebody about how God has impacted you and the difference that he makes. That's the fruit of reproduction. 
You're offering the message of Jesus to another. So God's working in us to make us more like Christ. And when we abide in him, he changes who we are. So our union produces communion. And our communion produces fruit. Only by abiding in Jesus can you be fruitful. And that's what he said in verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. If any remain in me and I remain in them, they produce much fruit. We've moved from producing fruit to a capacity that's larger, that's bigger. You're growing. He's developing you to produce even more fruits. But without him, you can do nothing. But notice here that it's plural. I mean, sometimes when you read this passage or when you hear someone talk about it, it's as if Jesus were talking just to you personally. And it's true. But the thrust is to the people of God. God is really after developing a people, not just persons. He's talking to the church here. And this is how God changes a community of faith. He's after developing a community of faith. He wants to change us as a community so that we invite other people into it. That's exactly what got Israel in trouble. They forgot that. They thought it was all about them. It's plural. In fact, every time in this passage, 1 through 8, verses 1 through 8, every time Jesus is addressing his audience, it's always plural. It's never singular. The only time it's singular is when he's talking about himself, Jesus. Everything else he's talking about us. The thrust of the passage is to the church. And as we remain in the vine, we as a church become more and more like the community that Jesus intended us to be. And that's the thrust here. So union produces communion. But communion produces community and fruitfulness. And without union, without communion, nothing happens. Look at verse 7. We're to remain in Christ by obeying his word. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. And what some people do is jump right here. And they overlook the first part. Read the word of God. Study the word of God. Meditate on the word of God. Learn what God says. Because as it shapes your thinking, as you allow the word of God to shape how you think and what you think, as you allow the word of God to shape your thought life and your actions out of which you live life, then you'll walk in the will of God. And when you walk and live in the will of God, like Jesus, you can ask what you want and the Father will give it to you. That's what he's saying here. We need to learn the word of God. We live in a culture today that's awash in information. We have information 
pouring over us. It's pretty tough to hear God if you don't take a moment to stop and listen. Drink deeply. Let it sink into the soil of your soul. Become deeply rooted in Scripture, and it will shape and change how you approach all of your life. And here at Sunrise, we have four classes to help you in that. You've heard about them repeatedly, but it's at the heart of what we do. We learn to connect with God. We learn to grow in God. We learn to serve in Christ, and we learn to lead in Christ. And here's one of the reasons why in John 15. There's second group of people. The second group of people is addressed in verse 2 and in verse 6. The group that doesn't produce fruit, he cuts them off. Without communion, nothing happens. In verse 6, it says, Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into the pile and burned. My grandfather moved from Canton, Ohio, after he retired up to Michigan, up to a place just outside of, if you know Michigan, between Traverse City and Petoskey, a beautiful place. Lived on a lake. Only the little thing that was a resort, people came and stayed in. This was way before timeshares. He lived in a wooded area. We called it the woods. And when we were kids, we'd go up there and stay with him. And he'd tell us that we could build the biggest bonfire we wanted. All we had to do was build the bonfire. Clever on his part. We got all excited and we ran off into the woods. We're clearing the woods for him. We didn't know we were put to work. We thought we were building a bonfire. What we did was pick up sticks that were good for nothing. We gathered as many sticks as we could find that were good for nothing. That's what the gardener does. He walks through the vineyard and he finds sticks that are good for nothing. He finds the dead stuff on the vine. He collects it. It's good for nothing. It's serving no purpose at all. There's two kinds of people that say they follow Jesus. There are those who produce fruit. And there are those that are good for nothing. Let's go back to John 15, verses 1 and 2. Jesus says, I am the true grapevine... Watch the way he's kind of clever here. If you're a geek on literature, watch this. I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit, so they'll produce even more. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. He's the true vine, and you're the true disciples. This brings great joy to my father, the gardener. That's why he has a vine. And then in verse 11, he says, I've told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. 
that it will overflow. I think Paul nailed it. He just summed it up like this. He said in Philippians, I can do all things through Christ. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for your grace in our lives. We thank you for the Holy Spirit. We thank you for the word of God. We thank you that in Christ, we find deep joy and purpose. And you work in us to change us. You use your word and the Holy Spirit to change our heart so that we love the things you love, so we pursue the things that you want us to pursue. Make us more like you. And thank you that we get to do this. In Jesus' name, amen.